Now, wasn't that great? Oh, my goodness. Do they do that all the time, Merlin? Oh, they chose such an easy song, too. I mean, that, that helped. It has been decades since I've been in a service to hold revival meetings where somebody got up and sang a song like that. Really, it has. I'm serious. It just doesn't happen. In fact, I remember, hi, Mill. I, I remember being in a church show. It's been a number of years ago. I, got, I was in a church holding meetings, and the song leader didn't show up that night, and so they didn't sing. The guy got up, the, well, the preacher, he got up, and he read a little something, said a little something, and he said, well, this, the song leader's not here, so come on, Dale. We'll just go ahead and start. It was like trying to eat a dry biscuit with nothing. <laughs> I'm telling you, it didn't, it just didn't go. And I waxed carnal. I'm sorry, but I did. I could have led a song. I decided if they don't want to sing, I don't either. <laughs> so there we were, at a standoff. <laughs> Anyhow, boy, that was just wonderful. It really was. And I appreciate that so very much. You know, the first time, I'm pretty sure the first time I ever knew who Glenn was, this is Glenn Gingrich, not Glenn was. <laughs> the first time I ever knew who he was, we had a pastor's conference at Pleasant Grove and that was a long time ago, 40 years ago, probably even more than that. Let's see, it's been four, almost 45 since I was ordained. That was only about two years after that. So, Glenn, it was about, where'd you go to? There he is. Did you sing in special singing over there at those meetings? Aha, I thought so. That's been 42 years ago, I think. 42 or 43, right in there. Wow, you were good then. You haven't lost a thing. That's wonderful. Well, I really appreciate that. Well, those of you that were here this morning already have some idea of what we're going to be talking about this evening, and that has to do with faith. In fact, I gave you the title this morning, Committed to God by Faith. We talked about God this morning, how great He is, how marvelous He is, how unique He is in a number of different ways. And so you would think it would be really, really easy just to believe in God all the time, wouldn't you? I mean, He's so great, He's so good, He's so powerful. Everything about Him is good and great and everything else. And we ought to find it really, really easy just to believe and just to keep right on believing but you know what? Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes it really doesn't. I've discovered in my own life that when you hurt bad enough, long enough, the devil can get to you. I'm, I'm serious about that. Just to start off here this morning, this whole business about faith, I'll just give you a preamble or pre, uh, just a bit of an introduction using my own story um, to tell you what's, what I'm talking about. I, I didn't... For years, I, never, I didn't have a doctor, I, I didn't, nothing, nothing. But in the last 10 years or so, I have learned who doctors are and how much they charge and, and some of the numbers they spit out at you, you know, other than the dollar bills, I've discovered what some of those numbers mean and what they have to do with me. But uh, I, had, I had back problems so bad, I wasn't able to hardly get around anymore, and so I went to the doctor about it, and, and um, they sent me in for all kinds of, you know, it was the x-ray, and then it was the... Uh, MRI, and then it was the CAT scan, and, and along the line, while they were looking for what was wrong with my back, the word came back, um, your patient has a lot more wrong with him than just his back, and I had, they finally determined what I had was a, uh, I started to say a caramelized, but I'm thinking of onions when I say that, uh, <laughs> porcelain, I had a porcelain gallbladder, and of course, I had to go in and have it taken out, because they said it's either cancerous or it will be, one of the two, just in very short order. That was the beginning of my experience with doctors. Everybody said, you'll be out of there, and oh, next day you'll go back. No, no problem. Ten days later, they wheeled me out of the hospital. It was more than just a simple little thing. It wasn't too long after that when I recovered that, uh, lo and behold, my back problem came back again. So we had a couple of different operations on that. 
um, operated on in December. By uh, February, we were back in the hospital doing the very same operation through the very same incision, doing the very same thing again, uh, trying to make it so that I could walk without extreme pain and so forth. And I was scheduled to be on pastor's conference speaking in Florida that year. I couldn't make it because pastor's conference only came about two weeks after my last operation, and I, I simply could not go. And it was probably a good thing I couldn't go because I have to confess to you that my faith at that point was getting pretty low. I had heard bad enough for long enough that I was vulnerable to whatever suggestion came along. And they were very nice at pastor's conference. I said I had all kinds of messages that came via Facebook and, and so forth. John David uh, from uh, John David uh, Yoder, no, uh, John David Schwarzenegger from uh, Greenwood, Delaware, took my place. When he got behind the pulpit, he said, he I could hear him on the mic, and he said, um, uh, hold on just a minute, I'm going to get some pictures here for Dale. And he went over to the side and took them out like that, and that side and took them out like that, and then he, he uh, emailed them to me. And so that was wonderful. That was wonderful. But we had a cruise, a gospel singing cruise. I, I love Southern Gospel, Glenn. I like that one too, but I love Southern Gospel. We had a gospel singing cruise we were going to be going on in February, the end of February, and everybody said, you're not going to be able to go. I said, I am going. Charlie said, you can't go. There's no way you can make it. I said, I am going. I am going. I had, I had some inside information because we've been out there before, and I've seen people on wheelchairs, with, and I wasn't on a wheelchair yet. I was going on this gospel singing cruise. But there was a reason for it, and the reason was because I was losing my faith. I was serious. I was losing my faith. I hardly knew what to believe anymore. Because it hurt so bad and hurt so long. And it just seemed like God was so far away. And I told, I told God about it before we ever left. And I said, Lord, you've got to do something for me. I'd been preaching almost 40 years at that time. Telling the world about the gospel. In churches and otherwise. And here I was, a poor wreck of a man. Not really quite sure where I fitted in anymore. Or if I even believed it all anymore. And my, my plea, I didn't really communicate all that to Shirley. She was quite innocent in telling me I can't make it and so forth. But I had to go. My whole eternal being at that point felt to me like I have to go. I have to. And I told the Lord, you got to do something for me. I have to come out of this thing with my faith restored and back in business for the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been on one of those things or not, but you go to programs every day. Different groups are up there singing. And that whole cruise, these groups would get up to sing, and I'd sit in my seat and cry. It went on day after day after day. And at the end of the cruise, God had me put back together again. I'm one of those people that music speaks to very clearly, perhaps even more than some of the preaching that I've heard already. But my faith was really going down, down the tubes, and I got it back. And I'm committed to God by faith. I want to show you something here this evening about faith, this whole business of what faith is and how it works and so forth, give you a couple of different things to think about, hopefully. I want you to begin by turning with me, if you would, back to the book of Genesis. I want to read some from the Old Testament here this, this evening. Genesis chapter 6, we have a man who is listed in the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. His name is Noah. His name is Noah. Noah and the ark. That's the story we're going to be turning to here. Genesis chapter 6. I won't spend a lot of time talking about the condition of the earth. Simply to read this, it says in verse 5, that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil, only evil continually. And he repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, 
I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to introduce something to you. Let you know that in this particular case, this is our introduction to what we're talking about. God had a plan. God has never been caught off guard. God always is ahead of the game, if you please. He already knew what Adam was going to do when he did, and he had a plan in place. God has never reacted to anything. God has taken action, but he has never reacted to anything because he always knew what was going to happen, and he had a plan in place to deal with it. It's true when Adam did what he did. It's true when all the rest of us have done any of the things that we have done as well. And in this particular case, God had a plan. His plan was to bring the flood because he had decided that judgment has to happen. He says very clearly here, I'm going to destroy man. I'm going to get rid of man that I have created. But man had made a mess of it. And so he had a plan, and he was going to institute judgment on these people. I would tell you that when it comes to the flood, that God also had a purpose. And the purpose was that he could cleanse the earth of everybody except for those who believed in him. That would be Noah and his wife and the three boys and their wives. Only eight people were going to be saved out of whoever, however many was here on the earth. There's no way to know how many there were. I've heard people say already there were just as many people then as there is now. I rather doubt that, but I've heard them say that. My father-in-law used to claim that the world was just as advanced back then as what it is now. You, know, you remember now, that's about 40 years ago. It's what we were 40 years ago. We didn't have all the electronics we have today. But he used to say that, and I said, no, no that can't be, because if we'd had a yacht, we'd have just sailed away until the thing was over. That can't be true. So God had a plan to bring the flood, to bring judgment. God had a purpose to banish the fools from off the earth, and that's justice. And then God had a provision, and aren't we glad about that? God had a provision to bless the faithful, to justify them, and to make them satisfactory in his sight. And that's what, where faith comes in. Faith, you remember this. Remember something about this. Faith operates in the area or the realm of the unknown. Once it becomes sight, it's no longer faith. Once you see it, once you've held it, it's no longer faith that operates. It's reality. Now you see it. Now you know. Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you have seen. I say unto you, blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe. That's the words of Jesus to Thomas. Faith operates in the realm of the unknown, something we don't know. We're not always comfortable with that. I like to go places that I'm familiar with. I'm not always so comfortable going places that I'm not familiar with. None of us really are. I like to know what's going to happen. I like to have my own wheels when I'm away from home. I don't like to be at the mercy of someone else making all the decisions. Besides that, you never know what's going to happen. I might have to make a speedy escape sometime or something like that, you know. <laughs> well, if you'd have come along with me over all the years that I've been going around holding meetings, uh, you'd probably understand that. I, um, I remember being stuck way, way, way up in the country, and uh, I say stuck. That doesn't sound good, does it? But I was up there, and a preacher picked me up from the airport, and there was absolutely nothing. I came home from that meeting. I came home from those meetings, and Shirley and I sat in a pizza hut after prayer meeting one night on a Wednesday night, and you could see the traffic going up and down the streets, and the streetlights were all on, and I said, I didn't realize streetlights were so beautiful. <laughs> it was flat-out dark up there. There was nothing to do, no place to go, nobody around, and... Um, 
Finally, there was an older gentleman in the church after a couple of days. He had a 1956 Chevrolet, and he brought it over to the house and said, here's your wheels for the rest of the week. I could have kissed that man. Oh, that was wonderful. I made a beeline as soon as he got out of sight, and I could, you know, I was done being polite, and he got out of sight. As soon as he did, I got that old 56 and went down to the town closest there, bought me two newspapers and read them both. Boy, I was glad to be free. I mean, I was. Well, where was I with all of this? We'll come back to this whole business of faith here. Faith operates in the realm of the unknown. That's what I was talking about. I like the familiar. I don't like the unknown. But God calls upon us to live by faith. The just shall live by faith, meaning that we're going to walk forward in confidence into the unknown. It's also the realm of the unseen. The realm of the unseen, the realm of the unknown. And I'll give you a third definition of it when, when faith is called upon is when it's beyond the abilities of human people. It's beyond the reign of human capabilities. That's what faith, that's when faith comes into being or comes into play, comes into practice. So how do we handle this thing of faith? We say, okay, yes, indeed, we, we believe. I want to give you three different things here this evening about this whole business of faith, and you check it out where you happen to be. Let me introduce that by saying this. I don't even have to ask the question or ask for an answer. I should say, how many of you have prayed for somebody? Well, of course we pray for people. We did, right? We did uh, this morning. I think we did this evening as well. I haven't had time. No, anyway, Merlin, I'm sorry. If you prayed for somebody, I'm sure God heard you. <laughs> but we have that thing about praying for other people. Let me ask you, though. Have you ever prayed for somebody and you didn't get what you asked for? I already know the answer to that. I sure do. We've had people in our bulletins, and when you get into our bulletin, especially if you're in the cancer section at church at home, the only way you get out of there is if you die or else uh, you happen to get healed. One of the two. You stay right there until something happens. And we have prayed literally for over you know, a long, extended period of time for people, and then they die. So a fellow told me one time, his little girl came to him, and she said, Dad, I don't understand something. We prayed for her, and she named somebody. We prayed for them, and, and they got well. And then we prayed for Grandpa, and he died. What happened? Why was that? Well, why is that anyway? Let me just tell you this, folks, that even though we sometimes get confused on this business of faith, I want you to know that the Bible isn't full of miracle stories from beginning to end. Are you aware of that? It's not. There are four different miracle ages, and every, four, every one of them has something in common. And that is that there was a question as to who is God. The first miracle age you have is Moses and his successor, Joshua. The first time you have people on the scene who can seemingly snap their fingers and a miracle happens. Why would that be? Well, you'll remember that when Moses was approached by God in the wilderness and said, I want you, I want you to go up there to Pharaoh and tell him to let, let my people go. And I want you to take charge of that. And Moses was not willing to do it. He said, they won't believe me. God said, what's in your hand? It's in the book of Exodus Chapter 4, I think. What's in your hand? A rod. Take your rod. He lifted it. It became a snake. Grab that thing by the tail. It became a rod again. God was telling him, go to Pharaoh. I'm going to give you a whole box full of miracles that you can work so that he will know that you serve the Most High God. When he got in front of Pharaoh, remember what Pharaoh asked him? He made his plea. He said, let my people go that they may worship God. And Pharaoh responded by saying, who is this God that I should worship him? Wrong question, Pharaoh. You're going to find out. And it was through the use of miracles that it happened. 
I don't want to belabor the point here this, this, this evening, but do let me tell you that every time you have a miracle age, there is a question of who is God. That's why miracles happen. It's not just that I want something to happen and so God's going to work a miracle for me. God works those miracles to prove who he is. And the more we know about God, the less likely we are to get a miracle for us. I hope that doesn't sound cruel to you, but that's the way it is. God doesn't have to prove who he is to me. I know who God is. But there are sections of the world, if you've ever wondered, why do the missionaries have miracles happening on the field that don't happen in the church? What's wrong with the church? No, it's what's right with the church. You already know God. He doesn't have to prove anything to you. But out there, they've never heard of God. And so miracles take place. That was the case when it comes to Moses. He was going to prove who God was. The next miracle age, move forward into 1 uh, Kings. And you'll find in chapter 17 and 18, you'll find Elijah walking onto the, onto the stage of the Bible. And again, there was a question of who God is. Remember that? The northern kingdom had digressed so far into idolatry, they didn't even know who God really was. When Elijah addressed the crowds on Mount Carmel, he said it like this. If God be God, we're going to serve him. And if Baal be God, we're going to serve him. And the Bible says nobody answered him a word. They did not know. They were that far off beam. They didn't know who God really was. And so the miracle occurred out there. You'll remember how they went first. Did everything they could to call out a response from their God, Baal. And nothing happened. But when Elijah took the stage and called out from God to God, we got an answer. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar, and licked up all the water they'd put in the trench around the altar. He proved who he was. Jesus and his disciples are the next miracle age. I'm not telling you no miracles happened, but I'm saying a miracle age wasn't there. Until Jesus and his disciples, and let me just prove that point quickly before we move on. When Jesus went down to Bethabara to be baptized by John in the river, John was pretty sure of who he was. In fact, he says it very clearly, doesn't he? Behold, the Lamb of God. He was very sure who it was that was there to be baptized. He even protested and said, I have need to be baptized of you. Come you to me, Jesus said, sure, because it behooves us to fulfill all the prophecies. So he baptized him. He believed in him. And when John went to prison in Machaerus and things got bad, his faith began to waver. Do you remember where he, I'll not take the time to turn to it, but do you remember the case where he got a hold of his disciples and said, go and ask Jesus a question, would you? Go and ask him, art thou he that should come or should we look for another? That's King James Version. And so they did. And when they got to where Jesus was, do you remember his answer? They asked him the question, are you the one that should come? Should we look somewhere else? And um, Jesus didn't go into some kind of an uh, explanation of, well, listen, John certainly knew who I was when he baptized me. What's happened to him? He didn't say anything like that. He didn't defend himself at all. In fact, what he did do was, he said, look around. The lame are made to walk. The blind are made to see. The deaf can hear. The dead are raised back to life. You go tell John what you've seen. 
the miracles of Jesus prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is very God. The question was, are you God or not? And the miracles proved beyond a shadow of a doubt for all ages that Jesus really is who he said he is. And he is the son of God. That was the question. And the miracles provided the answer. Now what I'm telling you is this, folks. I would love for God to give us everything we want. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if by faith you could walk into the hospital and just walk right down past the rooms and emptying them out, issuing miracle after miracle like Moses and Elijah did, and just bring them right out of there. We can't do that, can we? We pray and we pray and we hope and we have faith, but in the end, we say like Jesus, not our will, but thine be done. It's his. And so I'm saying to you that if one day, and I'm up at the age where you hear these kinds of things, if one day something feels really, really funny and I go to the doctor and the doctor says, Dale, I'm sorry to tell you, you have a terminal illness and there is absolutely nothing we can do. I would do like anybody else would do. First thing is I'd cry. The second thing I'd do is try to get the word out. I want you to pray for me. I'd call the conference. I'd say, put it on the hotline. I want people across the conference to be praying for me. I'd be asking everybody to pray. I love life. I'm not going to be unhappy to go to heaven, but I love life. I would be asking for prayers, and at the same time, and you may be thinking, well, then you'll never get your answer, but at the same time, I would also be realizing God doesn't have to prove anything to me. I already know who he is. And therefore, I'm a very poor candidate for a miracle. Perhaps I would be praying, but God, somebody else needs to see this happen. That, that, let's go that way. That's what needs to happen here. The fourth one, I'll just keep on. I won't tell you anything about it. But the fourth miracle age, if you're wondering where it is. <coughs> excuse me. Mr. Soundman. <coughs> if I raise my hand, quickly shut me off, would you? Anyway, I'm subject to doing that once in a while, just all of a sudden, boom, and there it is. Now, where was I? Oh, we're back here to this whole business of, of praying. Yeah. Fourth miracle age, thank you. That's where we were. It's actually found in Revelation. It's the two witnesses. And the question there is again, who is God? Who is God? And that's when you find the fourth miracle age. Now, that's not the sermon tonight. But it gives you somewhat, somewhat of an introduction to this whole business of faith. Well, we're going to divide faith into three different things. I want to give you an offering here to be considered this evening. First of all, we'll talk about abiding faith. Secondly, abounding faith. And the third one is absolute faith. What's the difference between them? Well, if you don't mind, I'll divide it out like this. I would tell you that the lowest level of faith is what I'm calling abiding faith. And that is an unquestioning acceptance of the evidence of experience. The unquestioning Acceptance of the evidence of experience. You, ever, you, you probably use it yourself, but there's a phrase that goes around among Christians that God opened the door. God opened the door. How, how do you know that? I'm wondering, just how do you know that God opened the door? How do you know that the devil didn't open the door, hoping you'd walk in? Well, there's too long of answers that would come out of that question, but 
All I'm saying to you is that if we spend our lives steering and directing our boat according to where the doors are open, we may not be following the path that God wants us on. may not be that way at all. And that's what I'm talking about, the acceptance of the evidence of experience. Now, I, I didn't see anything happening here this evening. Look, I, I, I uh, actually was back in the back, and I, I, I told Elwood, I need to talk to somebody with a little authority. And I said, do you have as little as anybody here? And he thought he did. <laughs> so here we are. I brought, I had him, he brought me a chair up here. Really, really, really nice. Now, people have sat in that chair before, don't you think? You suppose any of them ever picked it up like this and, and checked to find the government tag on it that says what the weight is that you can, well, that doesn't have one. How much weight will that support? Did you ever, any of you ever do that? I mean, you walk in, you don't just trust these chairs, do you? Surely you, did any of you check the benches before you sat down tonight? Did, well, you really trust uh, Whatever. I don't think anybody checked anything tonight, did they? You walked in and you sat down and you felt comfortable doing it. Why? Because these benches have been sat on for years. You know they hold you, right? Don't forget our generation is getting bigger all the time. <laughs> I'm serious. The funeral, the funeral director that we use at home even carries a line of extra big caskets. We just had to use one. All right, here's abiding faith. Surely people have sat in this chair before, so I don't have to check that. On the basis of accepting experience, I can sit here with confidence, and I know it's not going to let me down because it hasn't let anybody else down. Right? That's what we mean. That's, that's a basic faith. I've seen it. I know it's going to be okay. People have sat on it. Children have climbed on it. Reminds me of a church reunion I was went to one time. It was actually the 50th celebration, the 50th anniversary. And this lady got up and, and talked about how she remembers trying to walk across the tops of the benches. You know, like, now, children, shut your ears right now, okay? <laughs> but she was talking about that, and she got almost back to the back and slipped and fell and came right down on that thing. And she was probably close to 40 years old, and that was just a year or so before. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. That has nothing to do with this. I just thought about it. All right. So I have basic faith because I know people have sat on that. I'm accepting previous experience. I know it works. So I sit here with confidence. What's the next stage? Just how confident am I? Because if this chair happens to let me down while I'm sitting on it normally, I have a little bit of a back problem, so I might not be quite normal enough to do this, but um, if that thing begins to give way, I can always just stand like this, right? And just let the thing fall. And so as long as I'm here like this, my feet are on the ground, my arms are here within reach, and you know, your arm is always within reach, isn't it? <laughs> but we, 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 I, I'm, I'm in control of what's going to happen here. So if the chair does fall, I'm okay, Right? All right, so here I sit. I want to move to a different level of faith. So now, really getting risky here. So now I'm like this. I can still stand up. It's a bounding faith. 
not just abiding, abounding faith, but it really gets going when I decide to really be risky, and here we are. Now if this thing falls, Dale's going with it, right? There is no hope for me at all. I'm going to wind up on the floor, a tangled up with a chair. If you want a picture, you better get it quick. <laughs> but what happens when that takes place? Listen, folks, I'm saying to you that we, we have situations that come along in life all the time. And some of them are really, really big. And we've been praying and praying and we're calling out to God and we trust you, we believe in you and all of that and all of a sudden the whole cause is lost. Somebody dies. Somebody gets divorced anyway. Somebody totally fails. And you're in a shambles on the floor tangled up in the chair. What do you call that? If you keep on going when there is no evidence there that you should, I call that absolute faith. That's where we want to be. And abiding faith is cheap. You've seen it work. You're sure it'll work for you. The open door is there. You've seen it work for other people. Surely it works for me. That's a low level of faith. Abounding faith is the unquestioning acceptance of God's care. I know God loves me and he'll take care of me. And we abandon our reliance on our own abilities in favor of his. But sometimes when we're doing that, it still doesn't work. And we wind up on the floor in a heap with the chair. Absolute faith is the unquestioning acceptance of God's sovereignty. It's the highest level of faith when everything we have or hope to be is in his hands, and no matter what happens, I still believe. I still believe when there's no evidence to believe. That's what faith is all about. There is nothing I can say. I can't pull the label off and say, well, it should have held. I can't do that. There is nothing to fall back on. I prayed, I did my best, and I'm laying on the floor in the midst of a big mess. Now, I can either say, well, that didn't work, and abandon faith, or I can say God has a higher purpose that I'm not aware of, and I abandon myself to him. I believe him no matter what, no matter what. I mentioned this morning the uh, Aka Indians, the Wadani people, back in 1956. And by the way, a little girl came up to me, and she found that in your library here. She's got the edge of the spear. You have, or the end of the spear. You have that here if you want to read the book. But um, when those native people came out onto that sandbar and took their spears and killed those five people, five missionaries, they had a gun with them. They could have killed them all. They didn't do that. They chose to give their lives for what would happen. I can't pronounce his name, but the fellow that threw the last spear into the body of Nate Saint, Steve Saint's father, became a Christian. And within just a couple of years, I forget exactly how far down the line it was, when Steve Saint, some of them had gone back into the jungle again, not fearing what was going to happen to them. Elizabeth Elliot did it with her little girl, went right back into the jungle, lived with the very people who had done these terrible things. But God worked a mighty miracle back there 
And Steve Sane was baptized by the very man who threw the last spear into his father's body. What wonderful good came from something that looked like a disaster. I've read some of those stories, seen some of it depicted on film, the anxiety of the parents living in America who had some word that something was wrong, something had happened. Nobody quite knew what had happened, what had taken place. The Ecuadorian government got in on it, sent soldiers out there trying to find out what had happened, and eventually they happened. I mean, they found out, of course. But that was a disaster. But when you think about what God did for his kingdom with that move, it wasn't a disaster. It was asking somebody to sacrifice for the better good of the kingdom. And God, I'm telling you, does that of us sometimes. He expects the same thing of us, that we would have faith enough to continue to believe him even when it looks like there's no reason to believe him. May I give you a course of action? Because all of us are going to experience these kinds of things that take place. We are. Just keep living. If it hasn't happened to you yet, just keep living. It will. It will. The first thing I would encourage you to do is to hear what God says. We're living in a day and age when I find it hard to believe it could have been any worse back in the days of Noah than what it is today. You don't even need to list them all off. But the evil, the evil, absolute evil that is in our country today is beyond belief. I don't know how anyone can ever justify aborting a child. I don't know how you can do that. It's killing. It's killing. They have passed these laws that allow you to abort a child even up until the moment of death when they're out the partial birth thing, you know. The only thing left inside is the head, and so we'll shove the scissors up into their neck and snip their spinal cord or whatever, and the baby dies when most of it's already been born. And that's okay. That's the prerogative of the mother. Our country is evil in many, many ways. The earth was vile back in these days. Genesis 6 and verse 13. Oh, I'm in the wrong book now. Let me even go back and read that for you. But it was a terrible situation. Again, I don't know what they were all guilty of. I take the word of the Lord for that. They were in a terrible, terrible condition. And here it says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then he tells him, you make an ark. Now look, folks, that was a, tremend a tremendous uh, act of faith on the part of Noah because it had never rained. Build an ark. Where? Well, right there. That'll work. Just right there. That'd be good. For 120 years, I believe it was, he worked on the ark and he collected the wood and they worked on the ark and they worked on the ark and people were laughing. People were making fun of him. Noah was building and building because he believed when God said, God meant it. And so he continued on because he was sure God was going to do what he said. The earth was vile and judgment is coming. Psalm 103 follows up by telling us that he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. And I'm saying to you that here in our time today, God will not always chide. And he will not always keep his anger forever. And God will indeed bring judgment on those who are going so far away from him and in league with the devil. 
It's a sick mess. Makes heaven look better all the time. Hear what God says in that day. Hear what God says when he tells you about this business of salvation. Yes, judgment is coming. But also, yes, there is a way out. And Noah, having never seen a boat, having never seen an ark, having never seen it rain, did exactly what God said. And he built an ark. He was ready for whatever God decided to do. The Lord pities them that fear him. Psalm 103. Noah was going to escape the coming judgment because he believed that God was going to carry through. You know, it's really, well, it's not strange really, but when reality hits you in the face, it's amazing what happens to your thought processes. I, had a, I come from a family of 10 children. I'm the next to the oldest, which means I'm number two. But I try harder. There used to be an advertisement like that. Not all the families in the church. A number of siblings that have divorced, remarried, divorced again, that kind of a thing. There's a few of them that are faithful in church. One of my sisters was married, had four children. She lived at the end of the street where we live. At the age of 53, 52, somewhere in there, she discovered she had cancer. The sad part is they never went to church. She was baptized in the Mennonite church, but she never went to church. I had no reason from any outside evidence to believe that she was on her way to glory. And so this thing moved along. She was diagnosed with cancer, and it got worse, and it got worse. And then she was in the hospital, and I told Shirley, I, I'm the nearest thing to a pastor she has. Uh, we'll have to go see her. And so three nights a week, we would go to the hospital to visit with her. She didn't want to talk about death, but she always wanted me to pray. And so every night when we were there and we get ready to leave, how about we pray? I remember being there one night and I prayed and one of the boys in the family was so desperate for his mother to be healed. He said, pray again. I still didn't know if she was a Christian or not. Had no evidence to believe it. Anyway, when she was moved into the intensive care unit, I um, decided one evening, tonight we're going to have it out. Tonight we're going to find out just where she is. So when Shirley and I walked into the intensive care unit, and there she was, all hooked up to everything, you know. And, and she was asleep. And in all my life as a minister, I don't wake people up in hospitals. I just don't do that. They're sleeping, and I let them go. And I didn't quite know what to do there. And... To me, it was desperate and still standing there. And Charlie said, call her name. So I did. Nothing happened. Call it again. So I did. She woke up immediately. Looked at me and knew who I was. And the first thing out of her mouth, I need to, I need to get right with the Lord. Oh, I didn't have to ask her the question. She already knew what was going on. And so I took her down the Roman road. The Roman road is in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Went through it very carefully with her. I wasn't asking for a list of her sins. That's not how you're born again, folks. 
You're not born again by confessing all of your sins. You're born again by confessing Jesus Christ. You can go back and take care of the sins later. We're going to get you born again first. And I had no idea whether she had ever been born again or not. I do know she lived in the era of time when during revival meetings, somehow young people got their heads together. And when the, when the revival preacher gave an invitation, the whole bench would get up and go back and go into the council room. And I don't know any, if, if they were got saved or not, but it was just sort of the traditional thing to do. That's what she had done. I don't know that she ever really knew the Lord. And she was sort of timid and shy. And I explained this whole thing to her very carefully, and I was so sure what she was going to do. When he got down to the end, I was explaining it. Do you understand that? Yes, I understand. I know what you mean. Yes, 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 yes. We got down to the end of that, and I told her, I said, Annie, we need to tell the Lord now how you feel about this. I was so sure she was going to say, you pray for me. I was so sure she was. But instead of that, she said, okay. She closed her eyes and began to pray. And she remembered every point. She repeated every point and told the Lord she believed it. All the way down to the very, I could not believe it. Stood there in amazement. I had never heard anything like that out of her before. She prayed that prayer all the way down through to the end. Mentioning everything I told her. I left there that night knowing she'd been born again. Now the Mennonite pastor in the church that we all grew up in was in the same boat that I was. He too, unbeknownst to me, had decided tonight, I'm going to find out. And he told me later. He went into her room and he said, uh, he's here, he wants to make sure about her salvation and so forth. And he said, she looked at him with a smile and she said, I'm fine. My brother Dale has already been here. And he said, Dale, I could see it all over. She really was born again. She died within a period of about three days, I think, something like that. And what a joy to be able to stand behind the pulpit and talk about the faith that was generated in her heart not long before she died. What a joy to be able to tell those kinds of stories of what faith can actually do and snatch her back from the jaws of death in just about three more days. She was interested on the bottom line. I'm just telling you, folks, she knew judgment was coming just like Noah did. She was determined to escape the coming judgment by believing in him who could build an ark for her, or put her in an ark, I should say like that. He could surround her with his presence and with his love, and in spite of anything that happened, he could carry her safely home, and she'd never have to worry again. And all the prayers that we ever prayed didn't mean as much as her little prayer of acceptance of the Lord. It was a wonderful scene. It really was. Well, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Psalm 103 and verse 17. One last thing I want you to do. Not only have you heard what God says, not only should you heed what God says, but you should herald what God says. It means H-E-R-A-L-D. It means tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell somebody by the words that you speak. Tell somebody by the songs that you sing. Tell somebody by the way you live your everyday life and the actions that you take. Tell somebody because Jesus is coming and judgment is going to take place. We don't delight in that, but we let people know that's the way it is. Do you know this song? I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. You got to be a certain age to know that one, don't you, Ellen? 
Can we sing that? You know what? I know, I know that some of the younger crowd, I don't mean the way it sounds there, but uh, I know that some of the younger folks don't know some of these older songs. I know that. We were in Israel one time and had a worship leader with us in the crowd, pretty well, pretty well known guy too, for that matter. And different places along the line, we stopped and sang a song relating to where we were. They were hymns, you know. We got down to the garden tomb, wanted to have a, a bit of a communion service. And I said, I want you to lead the singing. Could you lead the singing? I had a book right there. And I said, here, here's the book. You can just read right out of here. And, and uh, if you would lead the singing, he said, I got to tell you, I haven't known a single song you've sung yet. I couldn't believe that hardly, but he's what he declared. So, okay. So, this is our testimony, okay? If you don't know the song, hum along. How about that? I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering love, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. And that's true even when the chair falls down. Heavenly Father, thank you for all those that have come tonight. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to conduct our meeting for us here this evening. And thank you, Lord God, that we can have faith in you even when it looks like a miserable failure here on earth. We still believe in the higher power that you have. We believe in your purpose. We believe in your plan. And even though it doesn't always fit with the plans that we have and the things we'd like to see happen, we submit to you because you are the supreme being. You are God. And we trust you with our eternal future. We believe in you now. Thank you, Lord, for those who are sitting here this evening who have been through the tough times. They've stood by the caskets. They've stood by the bedsides. They've seen other disappointments in life. They're still here. They're still here. A living testimony that even when you fall on the ground, you're tangled up with a chair, you're still there for them. Thank you, Lord God, so very much. And as we leave here this evening, may we leave with your blessings. Comfort us where we need comforting. Bring us strength where we feel weak. Build our faith where we may have been losing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.